friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode 28 of the MC Lars podcast. It is Monday, March 11th. And guess what? 19 years ago, today, I played my very first MC Lars show in Pebble Beach, California at my high school's church on a Saturday night. Uh, shout out to Eric Beck. He organized this event. It was called An Evening with Andrew. And I had a video projection screen. I had my equipment. I had my CD player. I had costumes. And I performed my first solo show. And people who buy the Mega Rand and MC Lars USB, I have a copy of the entire first show on it, which you can pick up this tour. And, you know, it wasn't super polished, but I did some freestyling. I was only 17 when I did this. And it was 19 years ago today. Speaking of the origins of Nerdcore, today we have one of the pioneers of the genre. We want to take it back. Perry Grip invented the term Nerdcore because back in the day when Nerf Herder used to play shows, there were bands from Oxnard which called themselves Nardcore. So Perry would say, well, we're Nerdcore. We, we sing about Star Trek and video games and we're a punk band, so we're Nardcore. So Frenelot later, coincidentally, started calling his subgenre Nerdcore. And I don't think he was a fan of Nerf Herder, but Wikipedia kind of cites that Nerf Herder came up with the term. So we don't have to get too much into the semantics. Frenelot does claim it, and it is kind of his thing, but he wasn't the first to invent the term. Maybe the first to invent the term nerdcore hip-hop. I'll give him that. But there were a lot of nerdcore rappers, like Will Smith. Some of the early world Will Smith is nerdy. If you listen to Della Funky Homo Sapien, and then MC 900 Foot Jesus and MC Paul Barman inspired me a lot. When I was in college at Stanford, on KZSU, I had a show called Pandora's Beatbox. That's a good name for a show, right? With DJ Drew, because my real name's Andrew. And on Sunday nights, after the drum by Kevy Kev, who was a dude who had a show since like the 80s, I would play stuff like Grand Buffet, Idea and Abilities, LP, Aesop Rock. And then I'd play some nerdier stuff. I'd play some of MC Chris's Eating Isn't Cheating stuff. I'd play MC Hawking. I remember asking the music director, Mike, I was like, hey, you, have you heard this guy MC Hawking? He's like, yeah, that's great for the internet. It's funny, but I don't bump it in the car or anything. And, and I was like, that's funny because I, I bought the MC Hawking CD and I've been playing it in my car all week. So I had a little different taste, but I'd play MC Hawking. Later, Ken Lawrence and I met. He never expected MC Hawking to blow like blow up like it had. And he and I met and we became friends over the years. He's opened for me recently, opened for I Fight Dragons and me. And two years ago, he had the opportunity to perform at Starmus Festival in Spain with Stephen Hawking. He invited me to come perform with him. And we rap for Stephen Hawking. We talk about this on the podcast, but I could swear Stephen Hawking was smiling. The song's called Fear of a Black Hole. We're going to end the podcast with the jam. We did this interview very late, very late, like three in the morning. Our voices are rough. We're tired. It was in the office of the hotel, like the hotel, you know, business center. <laughs> we kind of took over it with the mics. Luckily, no one was trying to print anything at three in the morning. But Ken was there, our friend Len, who does the Podcore Nerdcast with, with MC Hawking, which is great. I've been on it. It's a, it's, a, it's a very fun podcast. This is my interview with the legendary MC Hawking. I want to shout out my Patreon supporters, of course, my old school supporters, my older ones, shout out to Adam, Andrew, and Drew. Thank you, for real. My new ones, David, Matthew, and Thomas. And this is my interview with MC Hawking on the MC Lars Podcast. Check it out.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another exciting episode of the MC Lars podcast. I am here with Ken Lawrence, a.k.a. MC Hawking, a.k.a. the amazing rapper, guitarist, musician, friend, one of the original Nerdcore rappers, part of the holy trinity of the original Triforce of Nerdcore, a dude I've known for years, and we just played a show together in Boston, and he killed it with his band, and we are in like the office of the hotel we're staying in Boston. Ken, what's up, dude? How's it going? It's late. Yeah, it's like, what, 2 o'clock in the morning now? We're in the business center of this hotel, and I feel like we have our mics and everything set up, and if we don't get kicked out, it's a miracle. But I got my key card, so we're just doing work, right? Yeah, we're we're legal. <laughs> we are in Boston. Where'd you grow up? I grew up about 20 miles north of here, uh, Andover. Where do you live now? You don't have to give the address. I live in Gloucester. I've been all over this wonderful country of ours, but I've lived in the same like basic area. I went to college for music. I went to the Berkeley College of Music for about a year and a half. And then transferred because I decided I didn't want to be in a um, city. I think at the time I said I wanted to see cows. So I transferred to a college in Western Mass called Hampshire College. I majored in in music and uh, computers, kind of using computers to help write music was my kind of my jam at the time. Oh, and, and that led directly into the MC Hawking stuff, I imagine, right? Yeah, kind of. Let me see if I know the lore right. You can correct me. Okay. You were working your day job and you had a Mac computer, which you didn't, you weren't really feeling. And every time there was an alert or something, you didn't click on it. It would remind you by reading it in, in the Mac text voice that you felt like sounded a lot like Stephen Hawking's Texas speech emulator. And you were like, shoot, let me like, while on the company dollar, create <laughs> these scientific raps and like write them and do this. Because of this happy accident of hearing the alert message. How close am I? That's pretty much five for five. It spoke to me in an alert message, and I was like, oh, that sounds like Stephen Hawking. So then I figured out I could just have it say anything I wanted it to say. So then I spent the rest of the day, like, I, well, then I thought, well, what's the weirdest thing Stephen Hawking could do? And I decided that'd be gangster rap. Yeah. Um, so I wrote a couple of really bad gangster raps and then sent it around to people in the company. And then one guy I worked with who knew my background was like, hey, you should put a beat to that. And so I did. Oh, so you wrote this, you just wrote it out to do as an acapella? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was just freestyling. How did you break up the the uh, the couplets? It's just, I mean, it was just, they were just like really stupid, little yeah. like, like quick, dumb, you know, like, yo, this is Stephen Hawking and um, busting a flow. I mean, it was just like, you know, right, really basic shit it wasn't until like somebody my friend suggested that i i put a beat to it that i was like you know i could actually make like a song out of this okay this was this was back you know in the uh like like around 2000 yeah. you know so it was the birth of the internet basically i mean it was changing the world and it was wasn't going anywhere i mean it had established itself but it wasn't kind of the corporate behemoth it's become you know so it was like easier to make a splash, kind of. Yeah. And a lot of people kind of were coming up with just weird shit and putting it on the internet. Like a lot of the mb3.com comedy rap and stuff. Yeah, it was, it was you know. So I decided that if this was going to be funny, the, the funny part about it would be to just take it way too far. Just like put way too much time into it and try way too hard to make it as good as humanly possible. So I did. And I came up with three songs. Um, and I put them online. So what was the first, though? 
so yeah, yeah, so crazy as fuck. Fuck the creationists and um, the mighty Stephen Hawking. Those are right. the first three I came up with. And I also came up with this whole like backstory that you know Stephen Hawking was this rapper, and that I had this CD that I had found that uh, that I was pulling tracks from, but my computer was broken. I put up like pictures of like I stuck a fork in my my CD-ROM tray and took a picture of it to like say that my computer was all messed up, so I couldn't pull all the tracks. Like you know, yeah, it, it's, it was just you know so stupid. What, what was the joke that it had been his laptop or no? The joke was that you know. I had this CD that like nobody knew about that uh, Stephen Hawking had made, but I couldn't get all the tracks off at once because my computer was such a piece of crap. Right. Okay. You know, and I came up with a list. Like I came up with a bunch of fake albums that he had made, and right. And so I put those online. I made this website. I put it online, and nothing really happened for a couple of weeks. And then Slashdot picked up on it, and it just blew up. In the documentary, you speak of as the Slashdot effect. Right? Yeah, that's what people called it. That was like a mainstream moment for this project. But you had three songs, or did you done the whole record? No, it was only three songs at that point, yeah. And then you started getting people emailing you from around the world? Yeah, yeah, we got emails from around. I got press, like crazy press from, you know, um, around the world. And teachers were emailing. The best emails I got, and I still get these occasionally, is from teachers who email me and say that they had a, a student who was working on a, a paper about Stephen Hawking. Yeah. And they'll be reading along and da 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 da. And then they'll, the, the student will go off in this, like, about his rap career. And, you know, and they'd stumbled across my site and thought it was real. And, um, does that, that can't still happen. Or it, it, it hasn't happened recently, but yeah. it, 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 it I, I won't be surprised to get another one. Um, so the teachers would be emailing you trying to fact check if that uh, were real? No the, no, the teachers email me going just because it's ridiculous and I think right. it's funny. And and like more than one of them was like was saying, I don't know how to grade this paper. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and, um, but the thing is, here's the thing. Stephen Hawking was on Futurama, right? Like he's yep. got a great sense of humor that it's not inconceivable that this were a real thing. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, that ridiculous statement. Well, I I don't know. I mean, it's not inconceivable. I think that Stephen Hawking would have made like a rap song or two just like as a joke. I never intended it to be a parody of Stephen Hawking. I never, I never intended to make fun of Stephen Hawking. That was something I, I set up from the very beginning was that, you know, MC Hawking would always be kind of the man. You know, he was always on top of it. He always, you know... And um, it was really more a parody of, of rap and specifically gangster rap. Well, and all the ludicrous stereotypes of what makes one masculine, what yeah. makes one like, like what makes like that era 50 cent and all the bling stuff. Like you really tap into that. And it's just, it was a satire of that moment. And, and so something like along those lines of satire, Stephen Hawking himself got wind of your albums, right? Yes. And then how did that go down? Because that's a great story. So right after the whole slash dot effect thing, you know, and, and like, again, like Newsweek was doing little things and, and Yahoo magazine, Yahoo used to have a magazine, like an actual paper magazine. Yeah. And it was, you know, MC Hawking's crib was one of the, you know, 50th, funniest, 50, 50, the 50th funniest sites on the internet. Yeah. And MC Hawking's crib was one of those. And I mean, it was just, you know, so yeah, so it got back to, to, um, some reporter decided they were going to try to contact Stephen Hawking. And they, um, so they contacted Cambridge University where he was teaching and they didn't get him 
but they got one of his associates, and I don't know who this person was, but he said, I haven't talked to Stephen about it, but I can't imagine that he'd be happy. Uh-oh. That was the first kind of official or semi-official word I ever got on the whole thing, which kind of, you know, kind of bummed me out because, again, it was never my intention to, you know. Uh, for, well, I never thought Stephen Hawking would catch wind of it, but, <laughs> but from the very beginning, I thought if he ever did, I, I didn't want, I wouldn't want him to feel bad about it. I wouldn't want him, you know, to feel like it was an attack on him in any way. Um, so at that point, I was like, all right, well, I'm done. I'm, you know. Uh, but then a couple of days later, an official word came out of Stephen Hawking's office where he said that um, that he thought it was very funny and he felt it was uh, flattering and he compared it to a show called Spitting Image, which is kind of like a, a satire show in, in, in England. Um, so at that point, I was like, cool. You know. He co-signed it in a way. Yeah, exactly. And then you met him and, and you invited me to perform with you in front of him. Yep. And that was like a life-changing, incredible moment. And there's a whole story there. And I wonder, like, maybe we'll get back to that. Let's talk about this whole, the whole ride of this project. And, and maybe we'll end with, with talking about that. Yeah. How's that sound? Sounds like a plan. Along came a little known dude named Damien Hess. Yeah. And I heard, let's see, I heard about you in college. I would play your older stuff on my radio station in college. And people were, you know, starting to talk about this nerdcore thing. And I hadn't heard Front a lot, but I heard Chris. I'd heard you, and then I heard Nerdcore Rising, which you were on with Frontalot and Jesse. Mm-hmm. I interviewed Jesse. Let's set the record straight. So, were you part of Frontalot's Valued Sucker program? Yeah. So I listened to that episode. Yeah. And um, I have no recollection of ever being part of Frontalot's Valued Sucker program. I can say with certainty, I never sent him any money. But were you <laughs> up in the forums? I don't remember being in the forums. Okay. But that doesn't necessarily mean I wasn't. Okay. But, uh, but how did you end up getting on that song? I don't remember. Damien and I were um, emailing a lot at the time. About what? Just about music. That's awesome. And hip-hop you know, and... Yeah, and, and you know, collaboration and, and shit like that. And um, and it just came out of that. Now, yeah. I as I remember it, and again, I'm not... Jesse may be right, but the way I remember it is that uh, Damien and I were going back and forth about Damien had the song he wanted to do, this Nerdcore Rising, and he brought, so he brought Jesse on board, and I remember having emails between Damien and Jesse and I. So my guess is that Damien and Jesse talked about it on the forum, and then, you know, Front brought Jesse into the whole conversation through email. Right. Um, that's what I'm that's but again this is a while ago so i could be confused well and it's kind of this similar thing of like his project learning it was kind of like this bombastic experiment in sound recording technology that was kind of an accident where he was figuring out how to like digitally loop stuff and he thought well let me try this it's really similar to like it sounds like with you it was like a fun project you did not expect to reach all these people yeah i mean yeah <laughs> it was <laughs> it's like I'm talking about it 20 years later almost yeah it was just, yeah, it was just something fun I wanted to do. But at the same time, I wanted to make it as good as humanly possible. Again, and to me, that was a joke. You know, that's what, you know, because when you get right down to it, you know, the it it was a joke. But I wanted the music to be as good as possible. You know, it's to I to make to 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 point to more like recent you know counterpoints. I would compare it to something like 
uh, Flight of the Concords or Tenacious mm-hmm. D or, you know, yeah. these are these are joke bands. But the music is really good, you know. And if it's not good, people aren't going to like care or want to play it for their friends. Yeah, it's not going to it's not going to like become. It's a one note joke without anything behind it. Quite literally, probably. And yeah. you're a musician and that and the two things I always love about MC Hawking are music is super cool and unique and very different. And the science stuff is very like I learned from them. I learned yeah. from your songs like Stephen Jay Gould. I Googled him and now I know because of you. All the references are very like. Yeah, it's not just like a joke because you know what you're talking about. What is your science background? Very little. Um, yeah. I read a lot and I love yeah. science, but I'm not I don't have any real training in science and so basically you know Stephen Hawking or MC Hawking when I wanted to come up with a song if I wanted to deal like so Entropy the song Entropy that I was listening to OPP by Naughty by Nature and I was like oh Entropy that'd be you know it's perfect yeah and so then I had to learn a shit ton about Entropy in order to explain it and then even more so explain it in rhyme which is you know um so basically, the limit of my scientific knowledge can be found in the songs that I've written. I said this to you before, that I see it as like pointillism. You're doing all these tiny little dots, and then you zoom out and it becomes this song. It must be painstaking to like layer it, layer each word and each phrase. Yeah, I mean, it's a, pres- it's a process of recording several tracks of... MC Hawking, the voice software at different speeds and then importing them all into my digital audio workstation and then cutting them all up basically syllable by syllable or word by word or phrase by phrase, depending on how it falls, and then picking the right speed for the right, you know, and just it, just putting them all together like a puzzle. So you have like different tracks in each saying the words in different timing. That yeah. They- Interesting. So it's not just like the monotone. Da, 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 da. It's no. like da, 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 da. Yeah. that allows it to be musical. Yeah, and basically, I That's would cool. you know, I'd I'd write the words and I would rap, in you know, I I'd know what the flow I wanted it to be, and then I need to make that. And the the program I use is very basic. Um, it is a program called Willa Talk, which only runs on Windows XP, um, and that's the only one that gets the voice, you know. I mean, MC Hawking has a very distinct voice to me when I, and so no other text-to-speech. There are more advanced ones, but they don't sound right, you know. And Stephen Hawking, even though text-to-speech had evolved, he wanted to keep that old-school sound because he felt like it was iconic for him, right? Yeah. yeah, and beyond that, he wanted to keep it, you know, it's an American accent. Interesting. Um, and he decided to keep it, even though he's English, because, you know, at that point he felt like it was his voice. And tonight, when you did the live band, you had a cool combination of you rapping and this talking and the live band. It was, I was honestly very impressed how you pulled it off. How do you feel like the show went? I thought it went really well. Yeah. So you asked me to, to open up for you a few months ago, and I'd never done, you know, MC Hawking doesn't lend itself to live performances. <laughs> um, and uh, I'd never done a full set uh, as MC Hawking. Uh, you and I performed for Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Which we'll get to later. <laughs> um, but that was just one song. So, um, yeah. So I got uh, together with a band I play with all the time. And, um, yeah, put together a thing where some of it was 
playing live music to a backing track of MC Hawking rapping, and some of it was just, you know, me rapping the MC Hawking stuff. Because I didn't, I didn't, I just, you know, I didn't feel like just having MC Hawking rapping all the time, or with a, even with a band playing with it, I felt that would kind of lose its uh, kind of interest in a live setting. Eventually. But you had a few versions with him rapping, yep. right? Yeah. And I always liked it. Was it was a good balance. Yeah, yeah. You're but, a good rapper, dude. Yeah. I'd never heard you like rap full verses. Yeah, it was a good crowd. It was a good night. And the thing is, you know, um, you know, I say this is the first time I've kind of done this MC Hawking as a full set, but I've, you know, performed many, many times in front of many, many audiences um, with various bands. And nerdcore crowds are, are, are just amazing. Yes. Because they're rare. You know, right, like even bands they don't know, you know, they're right at the front of the stage. They're right, you know, they're they're there to have a good time and they want to they want to support the artist you know whereas a lot of clubs you play in people are just like eh, whatever you know it's um so it's it's a very different thing yeah but it helps that you're one of the originators of the genre well and no one and there was like people who were like i want to come from buffalo new york so i did you know my thing and then i became aware of damien um front a lot i had no idea i thought he was black um because the only picture of him at the time, was a cartoon of a big black afro. dude with an afro. Yeah. Well, he was like you, who's the dude hiding behind the computer who was like just messing around and pe- people were discovering it. Yeah. But like you, it was not completely a gimmicky novelty. It had flavor to it. Yeah. Well, He's a musician I, like yourself. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, I, I first became aware of him through the whole song fight stuff he was doing. Right. And um, like Yellow Lasers. And one of my favorite songs is a song he does not like at all. Um, an early song of his called um, Crime Spree. You know, he says about that song to me that, oh, well, I'm just a middle class guy who happens to be not rewinding videos. Ooh, I'm making fun of rap as a subversive art form. Right. It's funny. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, breaking the law until the break of the dawn yeah, or whatever. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's ill. That's right, it's ill. It's really, I mean, the thing that I love about Front is that his wordplay is just brilliant, you know? And it's, it's, it's front and center on that song. Although, the two songs that kill me is um, is Yellow Laser Beams and uh, Floating Bridge. Those two, when I first heard them, I was just like, I thought it was just brilliant. He's talking about bridges and like how they're actually built and cantilevers, cantilevers and all this stuff. Um, but and then he goes on to say like the suspension bridge could go like seven thousand feet, but it's seven plus one from here to where I want to be. You know, <laughs> so like yeah. It's, it's just, like a metaphor for where he's going in his life. Yeah. Um, but it also teaches us something about bridges. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but anyway, so I loved what Front was doing, and his flow seemed really unique to me, too. And uh, so I contacted him, and, and we started um, talking. Um, and then from that, I heard Chris, and I loved Chris's stuff, too. Um, you know, this is, again, early stuff, Robitussin, and, you know. Geek, hijack, Robitussin. Like- I was super into, like... Um, Aquatine Hunger Force at the time, too. And C-Lab 2021. And he was good. It was unique. He didn't have the crazy cleverness that Front had, but he had a he had an energy to him. And he had hooks, like that Reggie in the Full Effect one. But does he even try, yep. right? Yep. I liked how he was mixing genres. Yep. And it was just like so fun. You just wanted to listen to it over and over and over and over and over again. Those, those hooks on those first few EPs are ill. And I remember in one of them, he said, that came out in 2003, he wrote... Nerdcore in 04. Yeah. And he says he's going to call his next album Napoleon Complex or whatever. That didn't happen, but Nerdcore did happen in 04. And you got oh. signed, right? 
Yeah, I guess I don't know for. I always considered MC Chris to be the Jean-Paul Sartre of nerdcore. Sartre never liked to be called an existentialist. Nerdcore is dead or dying because there's so much crappy nerdcore. And then through email, I learned, well, yeah, you and I had this email exchange about the politics of, of nerdcore. How I felt, gosh, this is like very delicate territory. I felt like it was making a parody of the pain and the social history. And then I learned that you had a multicultural background. And it was interesting in that like, oh, well, what does that mean that MC Hawking has this kind of gangster persona? And is that okay or less okay? It was so many layers, dude, in this. So complicated. It's so complicated. Um, yeah. And I would get, um, like, people would, def- like, describe me in interviews m- multiple times. People describe me uh, in, like, newspaper articles as uh, white. Um and either people, and I'm my father's black, my mother's white. <clears throat> I'm uh, I'm black as Obama. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, or as public enemy said, uh, white mother, black father, black baby. <laughs> um, but uh, and it was just you know an assumption that people would make that you were white because because Stephen Hawking is white, I because it was a nerdy project. I think because I sound white and they were talking to me on the phone. Yeah. And because, yeah, it's a nerdy project. And so this nerd guy who's a computer programmer who's rapping must be a white guy. You How'd know? that make you feel? You know, if we want to get into uh, my, like, how I have self-identified over the years, that's a whole other, that's um, that's going to have to be a, a very special Lars podcast. Okay. There's a lot of, of, of uh, let me just say this. What can we unpack, though? Because this is interesting. I grew up in Andover, which is a very white neighborhood. Um, Home of a very popular prep school. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, where um, George W. went. So you were living there when he was going to high school there? Uh, Yeah, probably when I was living there because I moved out when I was like seven. He probably was going to school around then, yeah. Um, It's very, very white. Is it suburban or kind of rural? Very suburban. Yeah. Very suburban. So I always identified very white, you know. Uh, My brother, my older brother, more so than me. My sister, on the other hand, always identified more to the black culture, you know. Um, and as I grew up and went to college, I got more far more interested in kind of the, you know, the black side of my heritage. Um, and, uh, you know, going into college, I was reading like Malcolm X. And, and I went through a phase where I got very angry at white America. <laughs> as you should. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, that passed eventually. But I came to the conclusion that in relation to uh, racial issues intent is everything you know um so like to to make to put that into a context there is um there was a a story a while ago about a man who got um fired for using the term niggardly right which if he knew the definition of the term and he was just using it as a word without any intent of you know like if he was saying it specifically to a black person to be a dick, and he knew, and he was doing like a double entendre kind of thing. Then yeah, fire him. Which means parsimonious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but if he was using it in its actual usage, so I mean, so, to me, so that's what I'm saying. That's intent yeah. is everything. You know. You don't. You you wouldn't like, but most people now would be very careful not to use that word. True. But I feel I hear what you're saying. So he was fired. Was he trying to do it in a provoking way or? Be I, like, I don't really know the. I got my thes- thesaurus here. Yeah. How do I? I could see that going either way. You know. 
he, like maybe he should have been fired, maybe he shouldn't have been fired. It really depends on what his intent was when he used that word, you know. And that's what that's what language is. And that's why like people talk about you know po- uh, PC and and political correctness. And and to me, political correctness means don't be an asshole, you know. Um, you know, people talk about oh well, why can't you say Merry Christmas? Well, you can say Merry Christmas however you want. But if you're a store, then it makes more sense to say Happy Holidays because you don't know who the fuck is walking in. Right, you know? right, right. And not everybody's a Christian, you know? Um, so, I don't know how I got from the No, topic. no. So, the question is, what were the press's intent to label you as a white person when you're, when you're not a white person doing this nerdy rap music? Yeah, I mean, I don't, think there, I, I, I don't think there was any intent. I think it was just them not thinking beyond, I think it was just an assumption. Um, and that, you know, that says a lot. It's a bias, though. Oh, it's a huge bias. And that's this bias that I really had a problem with of like, uh, we can listen to this because it's. Yeah. And I see what you're saying. You know what I'm saying? With these, yeah. these, these guys. And, and so this new nerdcore being made, you know, you get you get you, you get me, you get Damien, you get, well, I think Chris, I really don't know, but I'm assuming these are people who understand hip hop and Schaefer, love. Schaefer, the Dark Lord. Schaefer. Yeah. Who, and Jesse, you know, who love hip hop. You know, they know hip hop, they know the history, they know, and they, they're doing it because they love hip hop, not just, and so then you get these other people maybe who are coming up and they're doing it because they love, you know, MC Lars, and that's as far back as they go. Now, okay, maybe there's a problem there. there it's a question of, but at the same time, excuse me, there are bands, you know, when Led Zeppelin and the Rolling Stones came out, you know, they loved the Delta Blues. And they understood it, and they were, you know, building on that. But now we have bands that are building on the bands that built on Zeppelin, that right. built on, you know. And eventually, things progress, and the the deepest roots of it are no longer what is being kind of, you know, it's you don't always go back to the source. You summed it up well because, like, you don't want people to ever forget Robert Johnson. I, I you ne- I never want like people to overlook or not understand KRS-One or all the artists who were maybe before their time. But I wanted to be like, these are the artists you should know. Like, learn these. This is your musical education. Don't listen to us and just start doing it. Because my point was, your stuff is going to suffer. And guess what? Most of it is suffering. And then that rubbed hella people the wrong way because they were like, well. And then I started emailing you and asking you what you thought about it, not knowing any of your story. And you said, well, you know, as a half black half white person like it's a complicated thing and here we are talking about it and yeah i don't know man it's and you know it's like and and but in and you know your knowledge of hip-hop is deeper than mine you know i mean i grew up listening to um initially bands that my big brother was into like led zeppelin and and queen and stuff like that and then i got into really into like the heavier rock and then from there i got into uh anthrax and from anthrax public enemy interesting and then from public enemy nwa um uh krs1 boogie down productions uh ice t i always gravitated towards the heavier aspect of of hip-hop your rage cover was great tonight by the way you know what i mean like the very political stuff and like ice cube solo stuff taught me about this world out there but it also made me feel kind of isolated and alienated uh, and knew that like putting on a ice cube shirt had a level of appropriation and like I could never be part of this culture specifically. Well, 
I mean, hip hop started as a, you know, a culture for people who, you know, had their culture taken from them in a lot of ways, you know, and a voice for the voiceless and, you know, all those things. Um, but when you look at the very beginnings of it, you know, you look at the Sugar Hill Gang, and I mean, they weren't rapping about social issues. They were, you know, it was very much just kind of, you know, fun party music. Um, but then that, you know, quickly moved to more, um, it became more of a, like, social aspects came into it very quickly. Like the message when Grandmaster Flash did yeah. that, that was like, oh, this yeah. can say something. Exactly. That was a, you know, a, a watershed moment. Um, and then, yeah, and then, you know, soon after that, you got the KRS-1s and the Chuck D, who I think is just, you know, is probably my all-time favorite. Have you ever met him? No. Me neither. I would love to I would Chuck love D. to meet Chuck D, man. Um, you know, he could read a phone book, and it's it's like, <laughs> damn, you know? And uh, and he well, he called it hip-hop the black CNN. I remember that. Yeah. Like Malcolm X, right? Yeah. He started out, and he was, you know, a black Muslim, and... And there was a, a white woman came up to him and said, you know, what can I do um, to help, you know, black people in America? And he said nothing. And then later on in his life, he said that was one of the things he regretted most of all, you know, is that he just shut that woman down like that. As we as a species and we as a country move forward, on the one hand, we need to get past what makes us different. And on the other hand, but we can't forget, you know, the history that brought us to where we are. You know, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's complicated. Um, yeah. I had a point I was driving towards. I think your point was the resonant coda of our dialogue here is what is authentic? Does Nerdcore subvert that? Does it legitimize it? Does it democratize it? And what does it mean politically when hella kids on the internet are coming up on this very Xeroxed version of it? Yes. If you look at hip hop today, right, you get some hip hop, which is Fucking incredible. What are some of your favorite things of the last few years? Uh, this is America by the Childish oh, Gambino. Ill. Broke my brain. You know, I saw that video and heard the song, and I was just, it was just brilliant. Like, I've always been a fan of, of Donald Glover. Um, I think he's a brilliant actor, brilliant comedian, you know. But when I saw that video, I was like, okay, I think he's a genius. You know, one of his lines, he said, F backpack rap. F nerdcore. Do you know he said that? No. <laughs> and he and Frontalas said when he performed at South by Southwest, he looked at Frontalas in the eyes when he said F nerdcore. You know, I like the song. It kind of transcends genre in terms of his singing and yep. It's, it's, the video got a so lot of good. like the southern kind of rap style, and then a lot. I mean, but and yes, and it also it's vague enough that you can read a lot into it. But I mean, it's just yeah. I mean that that song just killed me. There's a lot of rap too, which I think made by black people. You know. That who don't have any understanding of the history of hip hop, and they are just riding on, you know, Outkast or you know whatever um, hip hop band they grew up listening to, but they don't have the understanding or the appreciation of the history and uh, of how. What I find about hip hop is you can trace it back to Cooler playing on August. 11th, 73, playing his sister Sylvia's back to school party. You can trace the message. You can trace, like, you know, you can look at, it's such a short history that it's just an hour of of going through YouTube links to understand the roots of it, right? Right. It's not like, it's not like 
rock or classical music where it's like a huge deluge of information. It's a finite amount of time. Well, even rock's pretty finite. At this that's point. true. Yeah, that's but, true. Um, yeah, but what I'm saying is a lot of the, I, it, and maybe I'm wrong, but the impression I get is a lot of popular current hip hop hasn't haven't done that. I don't, you know. Um, but to me, that's the separates the great artists from the okay, the commercial artists, uh, the generic bullshit. Well, like Picasso worked in realism before he did cubism, right? Yeah. To 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 there's this interesting question of like, is the subversion of form the result of being fluent with it and then doing your own take, or is it like the punk rock thing of like the SoundCloud rappers just creating noisy hedonic? Like bacchanalian, <laughs> I think that can work, right? but only if you're a freaking genius. And that's kind of why the the childish Gambino track is fresh because he's stylistically sounding like a lot of that mainstream stuff, but it says something ill, right? Yeah. Do you I like didn't make that connection, but yeah, I like Kendrick Lamar a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um. Yeah, that's another one of the recent guys that I think is just nailing it. Um. And yeah. So, but so my so the kind of the point I've been dancing up to. Is there's actually a song I'm I'm planning on writing, which is kind of in reaction to this her this whole, um, you know, nerdcore is dead, and I didn't I I you you brought up a, a more interesting point being with the whole like not knowing the history and just kind of and that that I think is very valid, but in regards to a lot of crap being put out, um, the song I'm thinking about writing is is uh, almost all of almost everything sucks. <laughs> um, because I firmly believe almost all of almost yeah. everything sucks. You know, those gems that that stand out. Yeah, that are canonized. Exactly. Like people like talk about Saturday Night Live and how like, oh, it's not funny anymore. It used to be funny back in the day. It's like, no, it was never funny. You know, you remember the funny bits of it. Right, 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 right. You know. Yeah, or or like Simpsons. Oh, Simpsons was funny the first ten seasons. It was great. But the last seasons of every Simpsons episode has some, a gem in it. I yeah. love The Simpsons. I still try to watch it, and that's a, that's a comparison of like our memory paints things better. And maybe that was kind of my where people called me out was because like, well, you're looking at a can a, a canonized list of like five artists that you like and songs you reference. You're not aware of what's happening with nerdcore, and now the way it's become more diverse, younger. It's very vibrant. It's uh, there's a whole bunch of it, and yeah. most of it sucks. <laughs> but that doesn't. But there's still a lot of it. There's more of it, so that means more of it's good. Exactly. What what new nerdcore artists do you listen to, or do you like not really care? <laughs> I don't know if I go as far as not really care. Yeah, but I don't. I don't listen to a lot of new nerdcore. Were you an Adam Warrock fan? Yes. How about uh, Doc uh, Doc Doc Ward? Yeah. Um. Yep. Like that, I think he's definitely a talented guy. Yeah, Michael Kill. Michael Cahill. How do you say it? <laughs> I call him Michael Cahill because if you're gonna freaking put a, if you're gonna change, if you're gonna camel case your name like that, then you deserve to be called Michael, Michael Cahill. Michael Kill. Um, no, but Michael Kill is great. Yeah, he's also a great producer. Yeah, he's a good guy. Great producer. You know, there's just been a lot of great stuff in the past few years, and it's because I think a lot of it is ten years ago recording technology like, oh yeah, wasn't fresh. It was expensive. My first record cost to make. The graduate cost like fifteen grand to make, Jeez. plus paying guests and stuff like twenty grand to get those sounds. Like though I did the production most of it on my laptop, the mixing and yeah, yeah. studio time. And now, you know, my last record cost like a tiny fraction of that. Yeah, yeah. Would you like? What was your process of 
producing that stuff on a mixing level because this stuff always sounded really good. Did you mix it yourself? Yeah. Um, I mean, Berk- at Berkeley, I, I studied um, uh, music production and, and uh, you know, the whole kind of um, uh, recording and, and, and all that crap. So I was listening to, uh, this is when I first tried to kind of got, when I first kind of became aware of you, I was listening to um, Guitar Hero. Okay. And for the longest time, that song kind of pissed me off. Because I got Paul Gilbert on there. I didn't know because I, I didn't for whatever reason. I heard the song. I don't know how many times, but I never heard you say I never watched the video and I never heard you say Paul Gilbert on guitar. And uh, or maybe, I, you know, I just didn't I didn't catch the name Paul Gilbert. And I, I remember listening to the song and thinking this guitar player fucking smokes. And I thought he was like a friend of yours. Just some like guy you like hung out with. You're like, hey, you know, Joey, you want to play him? I, you know, and I was like, it just pissed me off. And the guitar player who's, you know, re- reasonably proud of my guitar playing i was like this guy just murders me he's amazing and then when i finally watched the <laughs> video and i saw it was paul gilbert i was like oh well that's fine you know i can <laughs> i'm fine good. you're good paul gilbert is great paul gilbert is next level and I a mean, shout to him when we did the video like we filmed all his parts and then he was dr- dressing in his car leaving and the director's like yo we actually need one more shot so he got his costume on and did it again like very humble very tall, lanky. Yeah. I mean, he, I think one of the reasons he plays so well is he's like a space alien. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His hands are the size of bananas. He's if, like Alan Holdsworth. He's just got like crazy reach and yeah. And he's so so much style and yeah. he, he's like the Berkeley. I bet the Berkeley guitarists love Gilbert. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. yes and no because he's a very well, very flashy, right? So they say, oh, there's flashy. no substance. I mean, oh. back and back in the day, like he was like he would play with a with an electric drill with picks attached to it. Like he was just like a shredder. And he was in Mr. Big. Mr. Big, yeah. And that was his first. That was a super group, right? Um, or was that his yeah. band? No, he, it had Billy Sheehan in it on bass. I don't forget who played drums on that. But what yeah. band was Billy Sheehan in? I'm sorry, I don't know. Billy Sheehan's a bass player. He was in um, uh, probably most famous for being in the David Lee Roth band. Okay, and Mr. Big. Yeah. And then he was in a band called Paul Gilbert did Racer X. Yep. Which was another. Racer X was before Mr. Big. Okay. Um, that was on uh, Shrapnel Records, and that was just a. Uh, that was like straight up shredder. You know so. your rock guitar, man. Yeah, well, I know my rock. MC Hockey ha- has some metal roots. Yeah, well, that that again, <laughs> that's where I came up on the rock, and the, and I still love that stuff, you know. And you had that Zeppelin medley where you have Hawking do hilariously yeah. monotone Zeppelin, Zeppelin stuff. Yeah, was that so? When you got signed, what they told happened? me they told me I couldn't put that on the album. <laughs> <Because of> copyright. <laughs> Because Zeppelin is famously litigious, yes. And it's a mashup, so it's a parody, but it's uh, yeah, it's not technically a cover, right? Well, yes and no, because that's one of the songs where I didn't change any of the lyrics. So it was a cover. So it was basically but a cover. But is it a medley? Yeah, it's a medley, but I don't think you can't you can't really get away with you know. We could have argued that it was a a parody because I mean obviously it's I mean but and a, and it's a cover. It's just you stylistically the timbre of yeah. the singing. Yeah, so it was. They they felt it was very dicey. Type. So yeah, the, so in relation to that, I mean, I'd gotten qu- several um, uh, at the time, you know, back in the early two thousand, several uh, offers to make us, uh, you know, to be quote unquote signed. Um, and this was off of the three songs. Yeah. Or, yeah. Well, no, I put out a few more after that. I probably had about five or six. The this company called Brash Music contacted me, and just they offered a really fair, and you know interesting deal so um so i was like yeah let's do it you know did they do like one of the greatest things is that that commercial with those kids talking about yeah, you? yeah. did they do that no i did that dude that is awesome you have the mc chris poster in the background yeah i had mc chris and front a lot that's right and a bong 
And the kids are, who did the voices? All the voices were done by Dave B. Mitchell. So you, you wait, did you animate that? Um, or you scripted it? No, I had um, digitized them and animated them. And then all the like, clips from the supposed music videos. If you haven't checked that out, what, what's the Google MC Hawking commercial? Yeah. It's very funny and it's very like timeless. So Dave Mitchell, so he did that. And then around the same time, I got a email from an artist who, you know, said he was a fan. And he did the album cover. He did my first album cover. And he did Front's first album cover. So when he contacted me, he was doing, there's a guy named Tony Moore. And uh, they were working on a new book at that time, which was The Walking Dead. Wonder what have ever happened to that Kirkman guy. Yeah, exactly. So they came out with The Walking Dead a couple of years after I met Tony. And a couple of years after he did the album cover for me. And, and uh, he drew... Front and I into one of the first issues of The Walking Dead. As zombies, right? Yeah. Um, I got my head cut off. Front was eating a deer. And we had a little back and forth about who was the better zombie. And my argument was, well, I was because I was trying to eat a person. He was just, you know, chewing on a deer, which seems to be a pretty lame zombie. Yeah. And he said, well, you got your head cut off. And I said, yeah, but at least I tried, you know. I went out with some panache. And then now you that you got the masters back for... Um, yeah, the brash run? music went belly up. And again... Okay. To credit to the, 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 the company, you know, they contacted me when they were going belly up and they sent me documents to basically transfer all, you know, legal rights back to me. Was it a licensing deal or did you sign away the masters when you worked? With um, I signed away. Uh, yeah, it was. A, it, I signed away the masters um, and it was a basically a 50 50 profit split on that. And they had rights to first refusal on the next album. And then were you sending them demos on the second record during this time? Or like, did you kind of take a break? Or I took a break. I got married. I got divorced. I got all kinds of life. So the thing, the interesting thing is when I came up with this first album, when the first, when I started doing MC Hawking, I was already a computer programmer. I had a career, you know, and it was yeah difficult to just kind of go like, ah, screw it. I'm going to go off and, you know, uh, do this other thing. Um, and, you know, sometimes I wonder, like, maybe I should have done that. But what I've come to terms with or come to realize is that people are often like, people often think, oh, I wish I had done this, you know. But when they think that, they think they think in terms of, because if I did that, I'd have this. But mm-hmm. they also assume they'd still have what they currently have. And that's not the way life works. You know, you might have, you might, if you did something differently, yeah, you'd have something different, but you wouldn't have what you have people's perspective having a gratitude list is very helpful all the things you're grateful for like today i was grateful to hang out with you and len and that the show was well attended and seeing you play and now talking and everything it's like i it's interesting man because i think about that too like if i had done more pop culture stuff or parody stuff or followed up my pop punk parody emo stuff with more stuff in that genre i maybe wouldn't have done the poe record mm-hmm. and i wouldn't have done the lit hop stuff and you can second guess that forever. So it sounds like you came to a spiritual place where you were not like beating yourself over the head about yeah. this. Yeah. I mean, I'm happy with where I am, you know, and who I am. And the people like, you know, I'm happy with my, you know, I, 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 I got married. I got divorced. I got remarried to a woman I love, you know. And I, if I had been wandering, you know, around the country doing what you do, you know, which I have a great amount of respect for, but... It's not really who I am, you know. I'm much more of a kind of 
you know, stay at home kind of guy. You're a very successful dude with a very nice car. And like, <laughs> you like our success, man. I do what I can. Um, and, you know, I, I love, I'm proud of the MC Hawkins stuff. But, you know, Len and I do a podcast with Cassie. Um, you know, shout out my podcast and your podcast. Podcore Nerdcast, MC which Hawkins, I was a guest on. Podcore Nerdcast. That's kind of a creative outlet. I'm working on a new MC Hawking album. You did a few singles. I've done a few singles. Um, there's probably about five songs that I've got done which aren't on the album, which can be found floating around the internet somewhere. Are, they're not, are they going to be on the album or not? Uh, some of the ones that I've already done will be, yeah. Okay. Um, but uh, there'll be a bunch of new songs. The Gremlin in the Back of My Brain is the one that always says, ah, what, you know, who cares? Who gives a fuck what you want to say? Yeah, but do you want to hear it? That's what's important. Well, yeah. So there you go. That drives out the gremlin. That, right. That's what, that's what keeps me going. But, you know, um, I'm someone who very much believes that the world doesn't really owe you anything. And I get really annoyed at people who, you know, you see these like American Idol things and blah, blah, blah. And you see people who like, who are not talented, who thinks they deserve to be famous. I often get emails from people like, what's the hack to be known as a rapper? Yeah. Exactly. Here's my, here's my SoundCloud I did with a friend and it's so bad. And it's like. I always tell them do YouTube, practice, go do live shows, network, because there's no hack. Yeah, the hack is believing in yourself. When I first sat down with Weird Al, I was like, "How do you make sure what you're talking about taps into the pop culture nexus?" Right, and he was like, "You can't ever know that. You have to just make sure it's personal to you and meaningful to you, and there's no real answer." And like of all the people in the world who you think might have an answer, mm. the answer is persistence and the joy in your craft. You know what I'm saying? And I guess in a way, the nerdcore thing is going back to what we talked about. It's awesome because there's such an open hearted audience that you're safe and it's a safe space. And whatever you do, man, it's going to be dope and people are going to want to hear it. And you know what I'm saying? I'm just but I, I know what you're saying. It's, it's like also a weird balance because like what does the world owe us? And it doesn't really owe you anything at the right. end of the day, except I don't know. What do you think the world owes any human being? Dignity? A place yeah. to sleep, food, hopefully. Yeah, yeah, certainly all of that. I'm talking about the the people who seem to have a belief that the world owes them everything they want. And that is what leads famous people to descend into destructive behavior because they feel they're insulated from all that. I mean, that's kind of the whole tragedy of so many, the downfall of so many rock stars and writers, right? Bo Burnham was on the like Conan or some, some one of those shows. And he said for him or Taylor Swift or whatever to go on and tell people, follow your dreams is the stupidest advice ever because we were extremely lucky, you know? And it's, it's a balancing act because yeah, people should follow their dreams, but at the same time, everyone cannot be famous. I talk about this a lot with my wife who has had success with her band Handjob Academy and who is a teacher now. And, you know, she she's in grad school and she spends a lot of time, you know, she's a hardworking, amazing, beautiful, fantastic woman who inspires me. And we talk about this. What, what cost do you follow your dream? And when do you become like the artist who has the day job? Because there's no shame in that. Herman Melville had a day job. Like so many great artists and musicians. I mean, some of the the best artists all probably did it because they loved it and didn't force themselves to to make a living off of it. And that is a hack there. And Ashley's very, um, I learned a lot from her because she's like one of the most amazing poets and writers and performers I've ever met. That's kind of why I fell in love with her. But she's also 
a really great teacher and student. And mm-hmm. she balances the two in a way where I'm always like, well, I'm punk rock. I got to just be on the van, blah, blah, blah. But it sucks to be eating gas station food at 4 a.m. And, you know, I've been up, my weight's fluctuated and feel sick and lonely and like no one loves you and drinking to block out the pain. This is getting kind of like real here, but like I've had dark times with the MCLR stuff where I felt like it should be a certain way and it wasn't. And I was like, this was like the largest tax record is about this. And that's where I kind of found spirituality and the Karis one song and found religion and found my own way of be, like becoming sane. But it was, you know, I, I didn't, this stuff you're telling me is like so wise, dude, because you have done your art and you seem like a very well-adjusted, happy successful person i'm glad rap brought us together and i'm glad that we're talking about this and i'm glad our listeners can hear about our our journeys in this you know what i'm saying yeah and i mean you know the, the problem with the day job is that it gets it gets in the way of the creativity you know and that's my big that's what i'm talking to my shrink about all the time you know um it's a function of, of time is finite right exactly yeah and marx talks about that and like right now like len and i and a few other friends are working on a movie again it's a short film it's gonna be about four minutes long but a woman who murdered her husband, and it's, it, the film takes place when she comes back from the funeral. But you find out throughout the course of the, the film that she murdered him because he was abusive. You made the movie. You're making the new record. Do you have a title for it yet? The Hawkman Returneth. And you have six demos done for it? or Yeah, I've got about six done now. And if you include The Aliens Are Gonna Kill Us, um, which is basically done. Um, I'm just waiting for some tracks from Dave B. Mitchell. You and I semi-recently, now a few years ago, I guess, had an opportunity. You included me on. Let's get back to this. We promised listeners we'd get back to this, and this catches us up to the modern era. What happened? Because this is a this is story like one of my favorite stories. Back around when I first started doing the MCR and stuff, I got an email from a woman named Deborah Lovett who uh, was applying to be um, a assistant to Professor Stephen Hawking. And she, in her research, she found my site, and she thought it was really funny. And... Uh, and um, and we just kept up, she was, you know, she was from England, obviously. We just kept up a, um, an email conversation, you know, over the years. Um, she got the job. Um, and so flash forward to 2016, I was on my honeymoon in Puerto Rico. And um, I got a call from Deborah uh, that... Garrick Israelian was trying to get in touch with me. Um, and so she gave me his number. So I Googled Garrick Israelian. He is an astrophysicist. Brian May from Queen recently got his PhD and Garrick Israelian was his thesis, whatever it is. Garrick Israelian was also led the team that discovered how pulsars related to black hole. You can look it up. I uh, look up Garrick Israelian on Wikipedia. But anyway, so um, I contacted him and he said he was having... Uh, He's doing the Starmus Festival, which was the second one they've done. And um, this one is going to be in honor of Stephen Hawking. Um, and Stephen Hawking was going to be there. And <clears throat> he wanted to know if I would perform. <laughs> so I was like, well, yeah. <laughs> so, every, you know, this is a volunteer thing, so we can't pay you. But we'll fly you down to, to Tenerife, to the Canary Islands, and, you know, put you up in a five-star hotel and, you know, pay for everything. And I was like, yeah, don't need to pay me. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, and I get to perform for Stephen Hawking. You know, and then and Brian May is going to be there and, you know, Neil deGrasse Tyson and Richard Dawkins and, you know. Oh, and I found out 
What a yeah the the the, the caliber of people at this thing is like insane. It was stupid. The guy it was stupid. The guy who sang the David Bowie song in space, he was there. Uh, Rick Wakeman from Yes. Um, just a bunch uh, of astronauts and PhDs and Nobel Prize winners and, and just like if if nerdcore had like a pantheon of people outside the genre. Yeah. I mean, it was just yeah. And at that fancy dinner, who did you have dinner with? Uh, Hans Zimmer. Yeah, Hans Zimmer. <laughs> That was crazy. And Brian Eno. Oh, my God. Brian Eno. I didn't meet Brian Eno. Brian Eno got bumped. I got. I bumped Brian Eno. Brian Eno was supposed to perform before Stephen Hawking gave his thing, and Garrick decided to change it so that it was me. Did we open for Stephen Hawking, or he opened for us? <laughs> no, I'm serious. We went on before him. I just love how you think open for. Yeah, we went on before him, yeah. Uh, okay. Right before him. We opened for <clears throat> Stephen Hawking. That's yeah. fresh. We, you did. I was just there to do my verse and hype your part. Yeah, so I... Um, so how did I get involved in this? Because I still don't quite understand why you picked me. So, But I'm very thankful. So I was going through my Rolodex, and after about the seventh or eighth person... Chris and Frontalot passed. Yeah, no. Megaran was at MAGFest. <laughs> so initially, it was supposed to be... supposed to be Jizza from the Wu-Tang Clan. It was supposed to be you and Jizza? Yeah. That, I don't mind pinch hitting for Jizza. Um, and, and Jizza said he was into it. Um, but then we like couldn't get in touch with this publicist for a long time, and then it turned. I, I finally googled it, and it turned out the publicist got busted for uh, sexual harassment. So at that point, we were like, okay, well, Jizz is out. So I told Garrick, well, you I'm couldn't on. get in touch with Jizz because his publicist had sexually harassed someone allegedly. Yeah, and but Jizz is not on Twitter. Well, Jizz just wasn't responding personally. I thought it was the genius. Yeah, whatever. Um, not so much. So you couldn't okay. So then, what? But why me? So I had two thoughts. I had you. I had front. Those are my two, my two thoughts. Damien is a fantastic guy, crazy smart, uh, perfectionist. But he's also very a lot of times, and I'm I'm the same way. And I don't blame him for it. But a lot of times in his own head, I've known Damien for you know forever. I have nothing but respect and love for Front, and I've known him longer than you, not as well as you, but longer. Um, and I've always had a, a weird, he's a hard guy to get a handle on. And if you don't hang out with him a lot, which I don't, I think it's hard to know exactly where you stand with him. In what way? Sometimes I feel that I annoy front. Um, so I, I, I understand part of it is my, you know, uh, insecurities and true. You know, and part of it is me trying to be like, I always want his approval and I always want like, him to be laughing at me. I always want to make him happy. And I've learned through my my therapy that I can't always control a situation with my joyful smiles. <laughs> hey, cuddles. Hey, muscles. It actually can really be annoying to people. And especially when they're having a hard day. And like, so I've learned to like let go of my need to control the vibe of the van. And he's a great friend. And he's always, he teaches me so much. He's so patient with me. And I fart all the time. And like, I'm up late and I played ICP for like two hours once. And he didn't make me stop it. Like, He's so he's such a good guy that like I've learned about myself and that's uh, he's like, you know, in Moby Dick, the whole thing is like Ahab's flaw is that he tries to project himself on the whale to see his true identity. The whale's thing is like nature. He's neutral. He doesn't care, which is why Ahab sees the darkness in his own soul and projects it onto Moby Dick. I feel like sometimes I'm Captain Ahab. And uh, frontalized Moby, Moby Dick. He's going to pull me down in the depths of the sea. So mm. I'll just chill and let him be. And when he wants to tour, it's great. I'll try not to make my merch a complete mess. And so, for, for, I mean, for me, it's like I've known him for a long time. 
we did some interesting things in the past. We ha- we share we we share a history um, that not people not a lot of people share. You know, so when I when I do see him when he's around, but uh, I want to connect on that. You know, and oftentimes he doesn't seem like he wants to. Great person, great marketing Front guy. Is one of the best lyricists I've ever heard in my freaking life, and yeah, it comes down to that. It comes, you know, I love Front. Not sure he loves me. So that's why I asked you, because you and I um, were just very buddy-buddy at the time. I can't remember what was going on. Well, you, was... We'd done Mr. Raven a bunch. By the way, I'm sorry that young kid tonight took your... Oh, I was going to punch song. that kid in the face. Okay, well, anyway, I just wanted to publicly thank you, because it was one of the defining experiences of yeah, my so life. Yeah, so we went to uh, Tenerife. We got to perform for these guys. You got to eat dinner with... Um, Hans Zimmer. Zimmer. Ashley came. You were able to bring your crew. Yep. And uh, we were able to swim in that awesome pool and eat and go and We went to the, maybe the freaking dopest like water park in the history, which... which Where Len s- took a freaking water slide into a big... Past a huge tank of sharks. This through. Through a huge tank of sharks. Yeah, like this... This forty foot drop, no, no, yeah. forty story. It was huge. Yeah, it was huge. And we we're like not trying to do it. And you're like, I'm in. Shoop. Yeah. Uh, the shark tank didn't scare me. The drop scared me. I wasn't doing that one. That was the only ride I refused to go on. That. It's like the coolest water park in the world. It and was. It's also where that whale ate those trainers. Uh, yeah. See, I mean, that was part of the reason I didn't want to go on that slide is because I was pretty sure that they had laxer safety laws in Tenerife. Than oh yeah. They do. And the kind of rides where you feel like you could fly off the edge, like you know. <laughs> yeah. YouTube videos. Those YouTube videos where the guys are going down and it's like a really sh- <laughs> But it was so <laughs> sharp corner. They just fly off the side. But that's why it was so dope. Yeah. Well, it wouldn't it wouldn't fly in America. No. Because you're not flying off the side of the slides. Yeah. But there's that one, this one it was like you come out, it's a funnel, it's like the size of a building. You're basically going upside down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like so yeah. So insane. Yep. But then you got us these passes to cut all the lines. Yeah, yeah. Were you and the, Len uh, hooked that? <clears throat> yeah, we got the uh, the speed passes. Yeah, but they weren't trying to honor it for some of us. Len was like, "We're freaking cutting this line." <laughs> this American like get those sick kids out of the way. And we swam with uh, turtles, sea we turtles, snorkeling with sea turtles. Um, you mentioned Roger de Sawyer. I just want to geek out for a second. So we had all these luminaries were at this thing, and aside from Stephen Hawking, the one I was most excited for was Robert J. Sawyer, who's like my favorite sci-fi author. And I found out he was going to be there like pretty late. Um, I was just looking at the website and he was just like, oh, and by the way, Robert J. Sawyer is going to be there. Um, so I, w- I went and I bought a hardcover book specifically because I wanted him to sign it. And uh, like the first day we were there, I go into the um, and you were with me then, right? Yeah, I just checked in. I went in and Robert J. Sawyer is standing in the middle of the, um, the lobby looking confused. And so I'm, I go up to him. I go, you're Robert J. Sawyer. And he's like, yes, I am. And I said, you know. I'm a really big fan of yours. He goes, well, I'm supposed to be giving a speech in about an hour. What <laughs> was his series of books? Or the, what's his book that, like... He, he he's written more? a bunch of books. Um, yeah. Quantum Knight's fantastic. Flash Forward is fantastic. Which book did you have him sign? I think I had him sign Flash Forward, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, but uh, he was like, you know, do you know where the convention center is? Because apparently... Was his flight delayed? Why would he get in an hour before he was supposed to talk? Yeah, his flight was delayed and the bus had left without him and blah, blah, blah. It might have been two hours before he was supposed to talk oh. about it. But um, so I was like, yeah, I can drive you there, but you have to sign my book first. <laughs> but it was just such a such a serendipitous moment that I right. walked into the lobby and freaking Robert Gessler. And then that. we were and then we hadn't been to the convention center. So we we're trying to figure out you're racing through Tenerife <laughs> yeah. and in your awesome car. And we're trying to figure out where the heck 
uh, this was. And we found it, and you delivered him, and he gave an incredible speech. Yep. And it was, like, really cool. I also remember when we tried to get him back, we, dro- we drove him up that mountain because the GPS was off. Yeah, the GPS the, was, a whole, was the, always a mess this there. giant mountain in the middle of the jungle of Spain where we were very much detoured. And I think he thought we were trying to, like, take him <laughs> into the woods. So Hilarious. So, yeah, so uh, Lars and I... So I made a, a a movie, like a 10-minute movie about the kind of rise of MC Hawking with just all kinds of bullshit about, with all kinds of doctored photographs. And um, and you changed the celebrities' names, but it was very clear, like Feel the Grass, grass Bison. Uh, yeah, Feel the Grass Bison, yep. Yeah. Yeah, Myron, Myron Bay instead of Brian May. Um, we were behind, we were backstage, and the video was about to start playing, and I remember, I was thinking to myself, we could see the, the video... We were behind the screen, but we could see it, but, you know, backwards. Um, and I remember thinking, okay, there's a joke in the first, like, five seconds. And if nobody laughs, this is going to be a really long 15 minutes. <laughs> and they freaking laughed. They did laugh. And yeah. was it translated in other languages or subtitled or? No. They just knew English. Yeah. But a lot of that humor of, like, that he was, like, part of the Beastie Boys or whatever, all your, like, hip-hop tropes, they followed. Because it was very sharp, savvy, intelligent, I mean... To be to make a room full of astrophysicists and astronauts and geniuses and dudes from Queen and to make them laugh, that's a tough audience, dude. Yeah. And and you did. And and they and they liked our song, which was based on one of his final papers, right? Which is called <laughs> Soft Hairs and Black Holes. So Stephen Hawking wrote a paper with a hilarious innuendo. Yeah, was, uh, Soft Hairs is a very specific kind of like quantum concept. Um, but he very much meant the double entendre. Um yeah, so yeah, it was cool, and uh, I forget the guy's name. But he's a he's a kind of he's like Neil deGrasse Tyson, except in England. Yeah, Brian Cox. He said it. You know, it takes a lot of gut. It takes a lot of guts to um to rap about black holes in front of Stephen Hawking and play guitar in front of Brian May. And I was like, yeah, said that. that's true. <laughs> but Stephen Hawking was looked like he was smiling. Yep. And Brian May was rocking his head and loving it. And it was uh, gosh, my verse was about the the literary approach to like the darkness the characters go through and how. The song is about you can get through that black hole and survive. It's a great, and we should end this podcast with that song, by the way. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So, I mean, the, the, we killed it, dude. We killed it. And we practiced so hard, oh. and you really drilled me, and like we spent all night practicing. I was like, we got it. We got it. But I'm glad we really rehearsed it because when we got up there, we were so ready, man. Yeah. It was because we, yeah, it was just awesome. We had them put their hands in the air, and it was just like, and then when, Unfortunately, like Ash got in late, and so we were having dinner. We talked to Hans Zimmer. He was like, "Oh, you're the rapper. It's so great." And I was like, "Oh, I wish Ken were here to like talk to Hans Zimmer." But he was mad cool. Yeah, shout out to him. Who would you have dinner with that night? Uh, nobody famous. I think I was the famous person. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah, but probably like astro, like astrophysicists, PhDs, and that was, a, that was a crazy thing about Starmus. That everyone had a freaking awesome story. Yeah. And I felt being on stage with you and like having the chutzpah to do that video and like rap and just, just it was ridiculous. But it was like people were like, I respect you and I'll talk to you. It's funny because the last day I was there, Garrick, I was hanging out with Robert J. Sawyer and Garrick came up with a book and he said, I wanted all the presenters to sign this. So he wanted me and, and Robert J. Sawyer to sign it. So Robert J. Sawyer signs it first. and He writes like a page, you know, and again, this is like my favorite author, you know. And he's writing, so then I have to follow him, you know. So I, 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 looking for inspiration, I start flipping through the book, and everybody's writing like pages of shit, right? And I flip back to the first, um, 
the first person who signed the book. Yeah. And it's Buzz Aldrin. And so I look at the second person who signed the book, and it's um, uh, uh, pe- these are people who had played the Starmus or were yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. The second person who signed the book was Neil Armstrong. <laughs> so I'm like, and of course, you know, in there is Neil deGrasse Tyson and all, you know, the rest of them. And so I'm just like at the left page, I'm like, Darf, I really enjoyed playing my goofy song for you. You know what, dude? We've written our names in this book, and someday someone will find it or not. Who cares? But we're in the we're in this book. Yep, I'm in a book with those people. You know the fact that we could perform and you know you. I didn't necessarily meet Stephen Hawking, but I definitely got a photo with him and like being able to rap for him. And how was it when you got the news? You know that was like a you wrote a tribute to him, didn't you? Yep. Yeah, actually, Deborah contacted me. Uh, about a week before he died, saying that you know he was not going to make it much longer, um, and it was you know it was it was tough, but at the same time, he lived a decent lifespan for somebody you know without any major health conditions. You know, I mean, seventy five, I think he was. It's it's a bit young to go, but it's not terribly young. And for somebody who, you know, somebody with as many health issues as he had, it's unbelievable. What's in his, wasn't his expected lifespan like, like 30 or 40? No. You, you, when you're diagnosed with ALS, you're, you're, you've got months to wow. a year or two. I mean, it's, um, and, uh, you know, he shouldn't have made it past 25. Wow, um, and uh, and the amount that he did, you know, uh, and the life he lived was just phenomenal. So, um, you know, on the one hand, it's sad to see him go, but on the other hand, it's very much, you know, it's sad for us. You know, um, I, I think he's deserved. He's he's earned the rest. You know, well, and yeah, he. Um I remember seeing him up there when he was doing a speech. His his computer kind of malfunctioned or something, and it was like he had a helper who came up and helped reset it and start during the speech. But it was like watching him do his talk with the slides and his voice was just amazing. But he was it's very helpless, you know. You could you know and like yeah. And he's continued. To, you know, he continued to deteriorate. By the time we saw him, like he could really only communicate. I mean, he used to communicate with his hand with a finger. And he is at the point where he could basically communicate with a, a, a twitch with a muscle that twitched under one of his eyes, mm. you know, really. So it's, you know, incredibly slow process. And um, so, yeah, I mean, he must have been feeling more and more kind of separated from the world, you know. And he had this. I remember I remember Deborah, right, his assistant mm-hmm. told the story about how when uh, she would change him. It's kind of, it's like emotional. She would say, uh, she would say, shall we dance, Stephen? Mm-hmm. And she'd hold him up and spin him around and put him into his, his uh, outfit and, or his pajamas or something. And it was like, what really struck me was like meeting his team through you was how loved this dude was. Yeah. And how, uh, how we've evolved as a, as a species where this man with this brilliant mind can overcome all the obstacles of like the wilderness and all the things that, would make something like someone like him unable to survive and answer the questions of humanity hundred years ago, mm-hmm. thousand years ago. 
that is just to live at the same time as him and I don't know, be tangentially connected through music and through your project. And he was such a looming, important person in your life. And, he's, and he, I guess he will be for the rest of your life now. And you yeah. have great tribute to him. It's really beautiful. Tonight, I was kind of teared up like you doing that song. It was for Steven. Please go on Google. Or please go on YouTube. It's a beautiful tribute. Thank you. Yeah, man. It's, yeah. it's so, life is crazy. Isn't this all insane? Yep. Well, you know, it's uh, life is what it is, right? It's just I I don't know. I try not to um, talk about my we talking about my shrink earlier, and his big thing, which has helped me a bit, is uh, the difference between um, desires and expectations. You know, and he's saying it's okay to want something, but you shouldn't expect it. You know, because if you expect something, then if that if you don't get it, then something is wrong. The world isn't right. Goes back to what you're saying about the American Idol, yeah. Kids expecting that you should have this and that, and both of us, I think, have really outperformed any any hopes and dreams we may have had with hip hop and music in general. Would you agree? Yeah. And I also feel like we're all kind of just getting started. I feel like I know I have mad records in me and friends I want to work with and it's really cool that we've all found each other in that it feels like that I feel like I don't know do you feel like you have a few more albums left in you I got one at least one more album yeah and I feel like I got a I got a bunch of films in me how does the passing of the namesake of your rap project how do you feel feel and like how does that affected you and I don't know does it make it feel different when you're doing these songs or does it feel like he's living on through them yeah I mean it doesn't really feel different. I just want to make sure that anything I do with the name MC Hawking in the future isn't just for crass, you know, commercial gain. It's like not just like I, I want to me, Stephen Hawking and MC Hawking were always very different people. You know, I never considered them. I never really considered MC Hawking to be. You know, an offshoot of Stephen Hawking. He was he was a he was a a satirical thing in and of itself. Um, so you know, in my mind, Stephen Hawking passed away. Uh, and though MC Hawking is way too much of a badass motherfucker to ever die. And there's also there's a long history of um, you know people continuing to do. Uh, you know, satirical versions of, of deceased celebrities. I don't know if you knew, but Edgar Allan Poe is actually not still living. Seriously? So when I'm doing the Edgar Allan Poe stuff, you know, I, he passed away. I don't know if you got that. He was trending the other day. I, yeah, I thought, what, was this recently? <laughs> yeah, Poe, man. He's passed, so I guess I can still do him on stage. Huh. We have that. That's I feel you, that he's a historical figure, and you're, like, forever giving him life. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's the whole concept that nobody's dead until... The last person forgets them, you know, and, um, you know, I don't know. It's, again, from the very beginning, it was intended as a tribute to him, and that's how he always took it, and that's how I intend it. Um, and, yeah, I think I've still got a few more things to say using that voice. So you're saying that more, like, less gangster satire, more like like real stuff? I mean, that's 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 the way the songwriting has been going. Yeah. I've been doing, I mean, I've been doing more science stuff, you know, like the song I'm working on right now, Aliens Are Gonna Kill Us, 
it's you know it's funny, but at the same time, it's you know Stephen Hawking was very you know saying you know we don't necessarily want to get in contact with aliens because yeah you know it hasn't worked out well for for humans native species yeah mm. you know when a, a more advanced civilization comes across a less advanced civilization things tend not to work well for the less advanced civilization we had a great show i'm glad we got to do this man me too i love you i love you too ken lawrence peace oh so mchockey.com mc yeah and MC Hockey on Twitter. And your stuff's on Spotify. And it was aggregated, finally. Yeah. Without the periods. Like, it's all annoying. Yeah, I had to How go. How did you do that? I I um, I um, just yelled at... Uh, CD Baby? Yeah. Not CD Baby. Who the hell is TuneCore. it? TuneCore. TuneCore, yeah. TuneCore's great. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, let's go out with Fear of a Black Hole. We talked at length about it. And uh, you can get this from the album, God is Late. Word. Fear of a black hole, yo. Life could take its toll, yo. But, but you, you gotta, gotta roll, roll with the, the hits. Commit to it. Spit your truth. And no, no matter how low you go, energy can never be destroyed. Fear of a black... Peep it. Of course, it's a reference to public enemy, which is tight. Yo. You ever feel sometimes like life is weighing you down? A massive weight pressing down on you. Crushing you, changing you. Well, the Hawkman and MC Lars are here to tell you that you aren't alone. We're about to drop some science, so listen up. Your reaction gets a star energy, pushing constantly against gravity, but eventually entropy always wins the day and the star will collapse, but that is not to say that this is the end, nah player it can morph to a neutron star or perhaps a white dwarf, it's matter compressed in a tight little clump, an object so dense it might just work for Trump, but what if the star was way hella big, and keeps on collapsing, contracting you dig, well in that case shizzle gets unbelievable, a complete breakdown of general relativism, where you see what it be, is a singularity, a point bending space to an infinite degree, where classical physics takes a backseat role to the violent birth of a new black hole. Fear of a black hole, yo, like a thing it's told, yo, but you gotta roll with a hitch, a commit to it, spit your truth, and no, no matter how low you go, energy can never be destroyed. Fear of a black hole, yo, like a thing it's told, yo, but you gotta roll with a hitch, a commit to it, spit your truth, and no, no matter Hawking, together at last, we're dropping that alliterative science. I'm running out of hydrogen, running out of time, collapsing on myself. I thought everything was fine. Gravity increasing, the event horizon looms. Relatively speaking, think I'm running out of room. Black holes in the distance with an all-spanning reach. Moby underwater, waiting for his time to breach. Sirens on the shores, always singing me to sleep. Witches in the forest, they're called this very deep. My quantum state is isolated, Hamlet in his chamber. Thought Claudius was innocent, now life has gotten strange. Like Osarian is scary when there's little we can see. But I'm holding on to hope like holding cocktail Christmas Eve. Singularity is spinning and I'm watching the effects. Of photos on the edges that nobody would expect. Now this holographic plate has got me saying, hold up, wait. Maybe we can break away and live another day. I'm a black hole, yo, like a thing it's told, yo, but you gotta roll with a hitch, a commit to it, spit your truth, and no, no matter how low you go, energy can never be destroyed.
never be destroyed. Energy can never be destroyed. Energy can never be destroyed. Fear of a black hole, yo, like a dick it's told, yo. But you gotta roll with a hitch, a commit to it, spit your truth, and no, no matter how low you go. Energy can never be destroyed. Fear of a black hole, yo, like a dick it's told, yo. But you gotta roll with a hitch, a commit to it, spit your truth, and no, no matter. That was Fear of a Black Hole, and that was my interview with Ken. The latest interview we've done, I think we finished at like 5 in the morning, but uh, we went deep, and I appreciate you, MC Hawking. Check out his stuff. He's putting out new music, and he performs. His live show's awesome. He's a very, very good guitarist, and his band is amazing. I'm a big MC Hawking fan. I will be to the end of time, and uh, he has a really beautiful tribute to Stephen Hawking, a song for Stephen which has a video on YouTube and uh, which I really love next week. I've got an interview with my peer, my friend, Sean Donnelly. We went to high school together. Sean's directed a lot of my music videos. Sean had a show on comedy central called Jeff and some aliens. So I talked to Sean about what it was like creating, co-creating an animated series, everything fun about working in TV, everything that's hard. Sean is a very funny guy and I've known that dude forever and he's awesome. So check that out next week, this Friday, the Watchmen single drops worldwide with Frontalot, Mega Ran, Schaefer the Dark Lord, Quelle Chris, and Miss Eves. We all play a different character from The Watchmen. The album comes out, Dewey Decibel drops June 10th worldwide. I am freaking serious. So stay tuned. We are on tour. I'm going to the UK later this month and then US, nerdcoretour.com for dates. But thank you all for listening and we'll see you next week. Have a great week. Peace.